Oh my God, I miss seeing people. I miss seeing people in groups so bad. Um, I, I had three dreams last night. The first dream, I was like eight years old. I was in my old neighborhood in Detroit and it was thanks, it was um, what are you, Halloween and I'm just running around with a bunch of kids. It was freaking awesome. And then I and then I had a dream of being in some kind of worship space from my past. And there was a bunch of people. And then, and then the and then the last dream I was at Costco. And I, I, I love Costco, but I was there for like an hour or two. And then I realized I forgot my mask. Oh no. And I woke up and it's like, oh, I'm ready for this to be over. So um, the pressures of 2020. What's what's the what's the um, what's the year in the Hebrew calendar? Is it like 55082 or something like that? It's like, oh man, I want to be Jewish and have a new new year now. But um, 2020 has really helped us uh, learn things. It's like been a stress test for our brains, and we've learned things about how our brains operate under this different kind of pressure we've all been under like how much our brains want to picture future scenarios and how frustrated our brains get when they can't do that very well. Um, it, I guess it turns out that our brains are quite preoccupied with predicting the future. That's one of the main things they do, but they mainly rely on uh, past experience to predict the future. So it's not like we have a lot of how do we get out of a global pandemic before uh, experience. So we're kind of frustrated in our, in our uh, future predicting function of our brains. Um, I, I grew up with um, two primetime cartoons, uh, the Flintstones about the Stone Age, Flintstone, da, da, dun, dun. and then the other what the futuristic one though was the Jetsons. It only lasted like a year or two. Um, and it, it imagined people flying in cars, getting about, like go to the grocery store or wherever you could, you had this flying car. And it kind of makes sense because there had been such progress in the previous like 25 years uh, before the Jetsons where you know, we went from prop planes to jet planes to space flight. And so like watching the Jetsons, I fully expected we'd be flying around like the Jetsons, certainly by now. Instead, we got the internet. <laughs> so like something no one imagined, except a few nerds squirreled away in some computer labs. And so data flies around, but not us. It's like very disappointing. Um, like, I guess I think that meme that went around um, maybe a year ago, which, which color is the dress? Some people saw gold, some people saw something else. That was mostly a function of our past experience shaping what color we, we perceived. So that's so, so important. Our memory is so tied to our imagination. So you've probably noticed how you're, um, when your circumstances remain the same for a long period of time, it's more difficult to imagine them ever changing. So I, like, I made a, a very abrupt transition from having summers off as a kid, you know, just like paper routes and part-time jobs, but but back then, like great freedom to roam around the city unsupervised. I, I love my childhood. Um, and, but I, I abruptly transitioned to like full scale adulthood with all adult responsibilities, like by age 19. So it was, it was like study, work, family responsibilities 24 seven. And I noticed throughout my 
undergrad years um, and even after, every June, I'd feel a little resentful because my brain was still expecting summer free time. And I'd have to remind myself, oh, right, I'm an adult now. You know, like who's, whose idea was being an adult? Um, so all of this is very much um, an underlying theme, actually, of the Exodus story. So the Israelites, by the time the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, the Jewish uh, Torah, the Israelites have been in Egypt for 400 years in, in a kind of exile. And at first they were like a celebrated immigrant population, but then times changed and new pharaohs came to power. These were fear-driven, fear-mongering pharaohs who took it, on, um, who took it out on the Israelites. And so uh, like a fearful pharaoh mind spread throughout Egypt and the Israelites suffered for it in, in like a cruel, grinding, very monotonous oppression. And by the time we meet them in the early chapters of um, the book of Exodus, not a single Israelite speaks. It's like they have no dramas to talk about. They, they can't imagine a different future to speak of. So even Moses, who was an Israelite abandoned at three months because Pharaoh decreed all the male babies had to be killed, um, he's raised in Pharaoh's household. Even Moses has very little imagination concerning a different future. This, this is reflected in his slowness of speech once he reconnects with his Israelite identity. They just, there, was no, there was no Israelite future. So as, as soon as um, Moses starts reconnecting with his Israelite identity, he incurs Pharaoh's wrath. And, but remember, that's his Egyptian grandfather. And, and he has to escape to the wilderness where he marries a Midianite named Zipporah, a beautiful black woman uh, who eventually saves his life, actually. And now he's living as a stranger in a strange land, but he's um, making the best of it. And he can't imagine going home and he's unfamiliar with the ways of Midian. It's a very different lifestyle. He's new to it. And, and where is back home anyway? In, in Pharaoh's palace or among the Israelites who have a bleak future? I mean, who is he anyway? These are the things he's struggling with. And everything begins to have the possibility of change. Uh, the possibility of a new future opens up when he comes across a strange apparition He's, he's um, traveling up a mountain, and there's a large bush that catches his attention, um, but it's aflame with fire. And on closer inspection, the fire is not consuming the bush. So Moses has stumbled into a classic thin spot, you know, where the divine energy is breaching and mingling in the realm of space-time and matter. And then Moses and, and the voice from the burning bush have a conversation that goes like this. This is the Robert Alter translation. I've compressed it a little bit for space, but um, the voice from the bush said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he, the voice said, come no closer here. Take off your sandals from your feet for the place you're standing on is holy ground. And he, Moses, said, no, he, the voice said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's like he's clarifying Moses' identity there. 
And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And, you know, maybe he was afraid of reconnecting with his Israelite identity and what that might mean. Um, and the Lord said, I indeed have seen the abuse of my people that is in Egypt and its outcry because of its taskmasters. I have heard, for I know its pain. And I have come down to rescue it from the hand of Egypt and to bring it up from that land to a goodly and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And now look, the outcry of the Israelites has come to me and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. And now go that I may send you to Pharaoh and bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to um, Pharaoh and that I should bring out the Israelites from Egypt. It's, it's interesting, God calls them my people, that, and Moses doesn't identify as much, and they're just the Israelites to Moses at this point. And he said, for I will be with you. And this is the sign that for you, for you, that I myself have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is an important mountain he's on. And Moses said to God, look, when I come to the Israelites and say to the, um, say to the, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, uh, I think it's pronounced, I hi, Asher, Asher, I hi. I will be who I will be. That is my name forever, and thus I am to be invoked in all ages. So thanks for hanging with me on that lengthy reading. So this uh, thin spot that Moses has stumbled into is, is really thick with uh, revelation. But I wanna focus on the four letter name, uh, the name so sacred, it was actually only spoken by the people of Israel, by the high priest in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. So this name so sacred, only one person once a year could actually utter the name. Um, it was so sacred a name, no one pronounced it except the high priest, um, that the actual pronunciation of the name was forgotten because there are no vowels in the Hebrew, just consonants. And so the vowels are passed along through speaking, though it's through like oral tradition, so the you know Jehovah was the older guess of, about the pronunciation, uh, Yahweh is the newer um, consensus, and and the translation of the name's meaning into English has also um, shifted. So the older consensus was the name meant I am who am. Um, but Robert Alter and other Hebrew scholars now consider I will be who I will be as the more accurate translation into English of the meaning of the name. And, and I, I like this latter consensus because it suggests that this God, um, the God who hears the cry of the oppressed and acts and calls us to do the same, is not a static God of being, I am who am, but the dynamic God of becoming. I will be who I will be, that's a becoming process. So, you know, we know that the revelation of divinity to us human, humans is, it has to be tied to our needs. And, and 
our ability to comprehend. And this is why it's, it's, um, it's progressive, it's multifaceted, it's dynamic in our experience, it's not static. So um, some facets of the divine are gendered masculine in scripture, some are gendered uh, feminine, and, and uh, Susan King's class on Wednesday night starting the last Wednesday in September, great chance to learn about that. Um, some like uh, Elohim in Genesis 1 are plural, um, most are singular, but, but Israel has a very specific need at this stage. After long years of grinding oppressive monotony, it's hard to imagine things becoming anything else than what they have been for so long. So things can be different than they are now and have been for a long time. This is the effect of encounter with a God of becoming. I will be who I will be which means the realm in which this God wants to act is the realm we call the imagination, because that's where we human beings um, engage what will be. Um, imagination is not just what has been or what is now, but it's what it can be that hasn't been before. So, you know, I, I went through this period of um, big um, losses between 2012 and 2014. And during that phase, my, my future was up in the air in a way that had, it hadn't been in like decades. And I can remember the moment, I can remember the very moment I was sitting in my living room, um, having a rearranged it myself the way I wanted it for the first time in 40 years, because Nancy had been kind of the, that had been her domain before. I was like, oh, I can arrange the living room any way I want. Wow. So I was sitting there in my rearranged uh, living room. It was a Saturday morning and I'm drifting into like a daydreaming, um, praying kind of space. And I'm listening to a piece, a a piece by uh, Max Richter called On the Nature of Daylight. So actually the On the Nature of Daylight is a theme song for uh, a movie that came out in 2016, Arrival, starring Amy Adams. It's about an alien intelligence coming to Earth to nudge humans toward a better future, and they have to discern the, you know, the language and the alphabet they're using. And Amy Adams is a linguist, and and the the theme song for that um, movie is On the Nature of Daylight by Max Richter, and it starts this piece starts with a very simple melodic line that is sad. I think the word is elegiac. I learned that word about two years ago, very proud of myself. And I think it means something like mournful but sweet. And over the course of the song, another line is added along with this sweet, sad um, line that is brighter, it's hopeful, it's uh, slightly more energetic. And I'm listening to this song and I'm moved uh, and I'm, I'm crying actually. And, but it's relief, not grief crying. Because the words that formed inside my head, or, or like a feeling I can only describe with words was, you can be happy again, you will be. And I believe this was the voice of, I will be who I will be, uh, speaking to me. So, um, you know, so what, I guess. So what, I will be who I will be. Um, you know, we're, we're, a lot of us are like dreading, <laughs> we're dreading the winter, right? We're dreading like the immediate future and like whatever happens between now and, and January 
20th, 20th and um, I think we're going to need a little inspiration from I will be who I will be, a God of becoming. Um, if, if we're a parent who needs to remind their child not just to wear a mask and wash their hands, but also to drive below the speed limit, to have their registration handy without having to dig around in the glove compartment, to put both hands on the wheel, not just when they're driving, but especially if they're pulled over by the police officer. Um, we're going to need a little inspiration from a God of becoming. I will be who I will be. Um, if we're experiencing distress regarding our extended family, because it feels like the fear-mongering pharaoh mind, impervious to the suffering of people we love, or may maybe our own suffering, is spreading to our family members. And it feels like they're in a mind lock that will not, that, that, that just, we can't picture it softening. Uh, we're gonna need a little inspiration from, I will be who I will be, the God of becoming. You know, I'm, I was noticing that in the Exodus story, Pharaoh's hard heart was the only Egyptian hard heart that permanently hardened. So a lot of the Egyptians participated in the Pharaoh mind and their hearts hardened to the suffering of, their, of the immigrant population that had been so favored among them. Um, but, but the only hard heart that was permanently hardened was Pharaoh's. For the others, um, there was hope. So in the prophets, Egypt is actually, has like a favored nation status. Um, there's a special love for Egypt among the Hebrew prophets. They're singled out for, for praise. There's a way that Egypt is like even chosen in a sense. And, and the Messiah uh, took refuge there and was protected as, as a child. So Egypt has this uh, change in reputation over time. Um, you know, if, if we are just feeling trapped in, in this Groundhog Day experience, we can't see things different than they have been for the past six months, um, we're going to need a little inspiration from a God of becoming. I will be who I will be. So, um, winding up here, um, like Moses, who couldn't predict the future based on past experience, we're, we're going to have to like um, look for and listen to a voice from the bush. You know, um, maybe the natural world will in unexpected moments um, fill with a little divine energy for you with a little like, um, you know, like, like something from beyond this world is kind of pressing in or winking at you or catching your attention. And, and sometimes that feeling will come even with some words inside your head to, to describe it. And so I think hearing such voices and investing whatever tentative trust we can invest or whatever trust those voices elicit from us um, is going to be an important thing in the coming months. So for our meditation, um, it'll just take a minute, but um, scripture, scripture interprets or understands nature as a temple. And uh, Emily has actually done a whole, <clears throat> a whole video series on this, on this theme that's available on YouTube. And um, scripture understands nature as a temple. And so, and so many of the divine encounters, like the vast majority of the divine encounters in scripture happen in the outdoor cathedral. 
Um, they happen on a mountainside, they happen on a boat in the lake, they happen on the shore, they happen at night beneath the open sky, they happen in a field, they happen near certain trees. Um, often they happen in places um, that our hearts are drawn to. So for our meditation, you know, if you, we've done this before and you may have one of these spots already in mind, but if you have a, a favorite spot in nature, um, a place that your heart is drawn to or that holds a certain appeal or fascination for you, um, we'll just take a minute now, if you're free to do so, the kids will let you um, right where you are. To, you can sit, you can stand, you can lie down, whatever you prefer. Maybe just to begin, notice the weight of your body on the chair or, or the bed, or especially if your feet are on the floor. Um, just begin by feeling your body and feeling that you're grounded to the earth. And take in a nice deep breath or two. And then just um, picture yourself in that special spot. And I'll begin the minute and I'll time it. Um, and I'll end the minute by just speaking the English translation of the meaning of the most sacred uh, name, not the name itself, but the meaning of it in English. Let's begin. I will be who I will be. Just keep your focus on that, that place in nature. I will be who I will be. On to you, I think, Emily.